0: Thank you, Laura. beautiful job. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number... Actually, it's Acts chapter 21. I was just testing you. Acts chapter 21. It works equally well to entitle this message Following the Will of God or... A study on advice, and I think that's what I have in the notes here, but I've changed mine to read, Following the Will of God. This passage is all about the advice that the Apostle Paul received about following the will of God. As we're going to see this morning, there are no easy, simple, mechanical steps that you can follow to discern what God's will is. We would love to have a four-step plan where all you had to do was follow these four steps and you would know for sure what God's will was in your life or any given situation. Now, people have come up with some pretty novel ways to discern the will of God. In fact, some of them would make a great television series entitled, That's Unbelievable?, I read last week of a lady who had a lifelong ambition of going to the Holy Land. She got a pamphlet on the Holy Land, and she read over it carefully in the tour that was available. She had the time. She had the money. But she wasn't certain that it was God's will. So before going to bed that night, she read again the pamphlet on the tour, and she noticed in the details of the plan that they would be traveling there and back on a 747 jumbo jet. She wrestled throughout the night. She tossed back and forth wondering what God's white will might be. And then she awoke the next morning and looked at her digital clock and it read 7:47. She was therefore convinced that it was God's will for her to make the trip. That's unbelievable. Some Christians use the open window method for seeking God's will. You put your Bible in the window. You allow the pages to be blown by the wind, and you put your finger on a verse. One man did that, and it pointed to the verse, Judas went and hung himself. Now, obviously, that's not a very good life verse, so he said, I'll try again. This time his finger landed on the verse... Go and do thou likewise. Now he knew he was in trouble, so he thought he would try one more time. This time his finger landed on whatever thou doest, go and do quickly. There's the problem with that method of seeking God's will. As we come in Acts chapter 21, we have just completed looking at Paul's missionary journeys. The journeys are now complete. We're now beginning to look at the beginning of the last part of the life of the Apostle Paul. He has just experienced a heart-rending farewell with the Ephesian elders, and this experience was intensified when the Apostle Paul told them that they would never see his face again. The Holy Spirit had previously revealed to the Apostle Paul and Verse 23, that the road ahead for him held chains and tribulation. In our text this morning, Paul is given advice on two different occasions by people who had a considerable influence in his life. These people are people who cared about him, cared about him deeply. And they didn't want to see him suffer, therefore they urged him to not make the trip to Jerusalem. Now, advice is odd. Advice is defined as an opinion about what one could or should do in a given situation or problem. Now, advice can either be a wonderful thing or it can be an absolute disaster. Given a moment or two, I'm sure that you can probably think back on some bad advice that you received, or perhaps that you gave to someone. Now, as we look at chapter 21, not everyone agrees on what, how we should see this. Some see this as an example of Paul's bravery, while others see it as a grave mistake on the part of the apostle, arguing that Paul went against the Holy Spirit's clear direction not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul was, of course, human. He was capable of making his makes. But in reality, I don't think this is a mistake on the, on the part of the Apostle Paul. It says in Acts chapter 21 and verse 1, now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos and the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, and finding a ship, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre. There the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And then Paul through the spirit, and they told Paul through the spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Verses 1 through 4 take us from Miletus where Paul met with the Ephesian elders to Tyre where Paul and his party look up the believers who are gathered there and they stay for seven days. It is here that Paul gets his first bit of advice. And I'd like for you to notice three things about advice with me this morning. First of all, sometimes good people... Even godly people can give you wrong advice. When he landed in Tyre, he went looking for some Christian companionship. We're told that these brethren, in verse 4, told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So Luke says that they told him, or literally, they were saying. It's an imperfect in the original. Language meaning that they told him and they kept on telling him that he should not go. We're told that this comes through the Holy Spirit. But it is not the same word that is used previously to speak of the direct agency of the Holy Spirit. Here it is better understood as in the consequence of the Spirit. That is because of what the Spirit said. The Holy Spirit had not forbidden Paul to go to Jerusalem, but according to Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, he had indeed constrained him to go. The Holy Spirit revealed the dangers that were ahead for Paul should he go to Jerusalem, that he would undergo suffering for Christ. The Holy Spirit did not tell them to inform Paul that he was not to go. The Holy Spirit predicted the persecution that he would undergo, and it was their love and concern for him that caused them to beg him not to go. Christians today are just as inclined to give advice as they were in Paul's day. And unfortunately, often the advice which is given today, although may be well-intentioned, can be wrong. We cannot avoid the sad fact of life that even some Christians will not understand the path that we are taking when we follow the Lord. Some parents will be opposed to the decision of their children to take a path that causes them to follow the Lord in a difficult way. People who love us may try to shield us from the cross, from the consequences of the cross. At times, our own people will take stands that we must reject. Paul obviously did not heed the advice that was offered to him because when the ship got ready to sail, he was on it. Paul didn't argue with them. He didn't try to convince them. He simply followed what he knew he had been told to do. Sometimes, good people, even godly people, and give you wrong advice. Secondly, sometimes the, the advice that we offer the others can be based more on what we desire than what the will of God is. Beginning in verse 5, we travel with Paul from Tyre to Caesarea, where Paul and the others will stay at the home of Philip, the evangelist. It says, And when they had come to the end of those days... We departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day... We, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's feet, or belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus said the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So a man by the name of Agabus predicted Paul's immediate future in a pretty dramatic way. He tied himself up with Paul's belt. What Agabus did not say is almost as important as what he did say. There is no evidence that Agabus predicted or rather, interpreted the prediction that he gave. There is no evidence that he gave Paul any instructions as to whether or not he should continue his journey to Jerusalem. But Paul's friends sure did. The text says in verse twelve. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from the pla- that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And again. In the original language, the word pleading indicates that it was an ongoing thing. Not They didn't just say it once. They continued to plead with the Apostle Paul. And from, even with the use of the word we in this verse would help us to understand that it seems that even Luke joined in those who were pleading with Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Not only did they keep pleading with Paul, but it It is evident that they became quite emotional and they began to weep. Now, why has Paul received these warnings? There are obviously several possibilities. These warnings could be intended to convince him not to go to Jerusalem, to impress on him that what he is doing is outside the will of God. Some commentators argue based on verse 4 that Paul was either deliberately being disobedient or he was making a foolish mistake and not heeding the warnings that he had been given. So, some say that it was intended to convince him not to go. It's also possible that these warnings are to prepare him for what he will face in Jerusalem. Not intended to, to dissuade him, but rather to strengthen him. ...for what is yet ahead. And there's a third possibility... ...in that that these warnings are intended to test his resolve. To test him to see whether he is willing to fulfill. And his obedience will be the fulfillment of that test. It is my belief that these believers are right... ...in their understanding that Paul will be imprisoned in Jerusalem but they are wrong in their conclusion that he should not go. It is reasonable to assume that Paul's friends have concluded that Paul will only be successful in the ministry if he's free. You can't be a success in your ministry if you're in prison. But is that true? They fail to consider how God could use even Paul's imprisonment. It is through his time of hardship, through his time of imprisonment, that first of all, God granted one of his greatest wishes. He wanted to go to Rome. He went to Rome. Secondly, God allowed him access, unimaginable access, even to Caesar's household. Because the guards who guarded Paul were a part of Caesar's own guards. And it was during this time that Paul was given the opportunity to write Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So God did use that time that Paul was in prison. Please note that these saints were wrong even though they seemed to be unanimous in their conclusion. As Americans, we tend to think democratically. And we tend to think you go with the majority. But as we begin to see in our own society today, the majority can be wrong. Sometimes the, the advice we offer others can be based more on what we desire than what the will of God is. And third, sometimes our advice, rather than encouraging people to follow the will of God, discourages it. The pressure on the apostle Paul must have been considerable. For Paul acknowledged that they were literally tearing him apart. Verse 13 says, Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Breaking the heart was a phrase that was used to mean breaking the will, weakening the purpose or causing a person to go to pieces so that they could accomplish nothing. Paul is saying, why are you doing this to me? I need your encouragement to follow the Spirit's leading. Instead, you're crippling me with your grief. But the... Apostle Paul revealed his determination not to be deterred from following what God had revealed to be his will. The last part of verse 13, For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He's willing to suffer for the Lord if necessary and to give his life. He reveals his heart in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 we see him write according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by my life or by my death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain for if I live on in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul says, For I am ready. In fact, three times in Scripture, Paul says about himself that he is ready. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says he's ready to serve. In our text today, we see that he says that he is ready to suffer. And in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says that he is ready for sacrifice. But the question is, are we ready? How can Paul face eternity... And death without fear. Paul was not afraid of death because he knew that his sins had been forgiven. Paul affirms this in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 54. Then shall be brought to pass a saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? We sang about that this morning. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul understood that to be present with the Lord, it was necessary to be absent from the body. Paul knew that for him, death held no terror, for his sins were forgiven. Paul understood that the safest place that a Christian can be is in the center of God's will. Paul didn't argue or spending time discussing divine guidance. He simply followed what he knew to be God's will. It is only after Paul's courageous statement of his purpose that his friends were able to say what they should have said all along. Look at verse number 14. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Since Paul would not allow the people to have their way, they were willing for the Lord finally to have his way. The whole story in these verses revolves around the question of whether or not Paul was following the will of God in his decision to continue in his journey to Jerusalem. So what does that tell us about discerning the will of God? Well, first of all, as I said in the introduction, there is no simple and mechanical step that we can follow to discern what God's will is. We would love to discover Four easy steps, five easy steps to discern the will of God. But such a thing does not really exist. God primarily guides us through our relationship with him, by growing in our understanding of God's word, and by dependence upon the Holy Spirit. If we're really interested in knowing God's will, we have to be willing to ask ourselves some hard questions. Is this really what God wants or is this what I want? Am I open to God changing my direction if this is not what He wants? That it really is pointless to speculate on what God's will is if you are not 100% committed to following it. It's only academic. Secondly, although Paul's friends were no doubt well-meaning, they were trying to make God's will conform to their preconceptions. Oswald Chambers, in his great classic book, My Upmost for His Highest, wrote these words. To choose to suffer means there's something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. And then finally, Paul's friends, in urging him not to go to Jerusalem, were actually being used by the enemy to discourage him in following the Lord. We have no trouble following the guidance of the Lord as long as it's leading through blessings and ease, That's not when it gets difficult. But we cannot imagine that God's will leads us or anyone we love into and through difficulties and trials, and yet it does. The truth is, neither the presence of nor the absence of trouble is an indication of God's will. Once again... The things that we have to look at to determine God's will is building our relationship with God, growing in our understanding of what God's word says, and leaning on dependence on the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each one that's here this morning. I know they're here for a purpose, and so, Lord, I pray that purpose might be achieved. There are are some here this morning that may be discouraged Uh, The week may have been difficult. and So for them, I pray for comfort. I pray that you would wrap your arms around them and they would sense your presence, but not only your presence, but your comfort. There are others who really may be struggling with making some decision this morning, and so I pray that you'd help them as they try to discern your will in their lives. There are others who perhaps know what your will is, but they have been resistant to following your will because it was not what they wanted. I pray you'd help them to understand this morning that if we understood everything, as you understand everything, then we would choose your will for our lives because it is best. And Father, there may be one here that has never... Established a relationship with you. They've never come to you and admitted that they're sinners, that they need to be forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray that as we pray here this morning, that they might turn to you, repent of their sins, that is, agree with you about their sins, and ask to be forgiven. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to become their Savior. Accept what Jesus has done on the cross for them. Whatever it is that you want to achieve in our hearts and lives this morning, we want to turn this time over to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.